Oh, God is good. I tell you, he's just doing some amazing things. Amazing things, which we don't even have time to talk about. <laughs> it's actually becoming hard to keep up with all the testimonies and all the things that God is doing. And I like that. When we don't have enough time, uh, the Apostle John said there aren't enough books, there aren't enough libraries in the world to document all the things that Jesus did in three and a half years of ministry on this earth. Think about that. He said there's not enough space in all the libraries. Oh, God, what we can do in three and a half years of our lives if we will put our hearts and minds to it and allow God to use us and fulfill His will in and through us. Amen. I want to expand on a thought that I shared Friday night in our prayer meeting. And if you want to begin, you can turn to Mark chapter 6 with me. Mark 6. And we're going to look at verses 1 to 6. People were amazed at Jesus' teaching. They were amazed at all the miracles He was doing. He was an amazing figure. But if you scour the four Gospels, you won't find one instance where Jesus was amazed at what His Father was doing. It doesn't say He was amazed that Lazarus was raised from the dead. It doesn't say He was amazed that the sick were all being healed or the demons were being cast out. The people were amazed at that. Jesus wasn't amazed at that. I can only find two things in the four Gospels that amaze Jesus. Would you like to know what they are? I'm glad you asked. He was amazed at faith and the lack of it. Those were the only two things that amazed him. Faith and the lack of faith. So one way or another, I think you and I are going to amaze him. We're either going to amaze Him with our great faith, or we're going to amaze Him with our unbelief. I prefer to amaze Him the first way. And if you're with me now in Mark chapter 6, we'll read from verses 1 to 6. Jesus left there and went to His hometown. That's very important. Went to His hometown accompanied by His disciples. When the Sabbath came, he began to teach in the synagogue, and many who heard him were amazed. amazed. Where did this man get these things, they asked? What's this wisdom that has been given him? What are these remarkable miracles he is performing? They were amazed. Verse 3, isn't this the carpenter? Isn't this Mary's son and the brother of James, Joseph, Judas, and Simon? Aren't his sisters here with us? And they took offense at him. Jesus said to them, a prophet is not without honor except in his own town, among his relatives, and in his own home. Amen to that one. 
Verse 5 and 6 have always amazed me. He could not, say that with me, He could not do any miracles there. Except lay His hands on a few sick people and heal them. And He was amazed at their lack of faith. Oh my God. We sang earlier about an awesome God, Alpha Omega, Lion of Judah, Creator God. He was right there in their town and they had no faith in Him. And that amazed Him. He could not do any miracles there. I don't know how to explain that theologically except what I understand in my own heart of hearts. Unbelief seems to tie his hands. It's a strange thing, but your unbelief, my unbelief, somehow seems to limit or tie God's hands in his ability to do what he wanted to do. One of the sad charges in the Old Testament against the whole nation of Israel was they limited the Holy One of Israel. They limited Him. And that, that's hard for us to comprehend because God is limitless. There's nothing that can stop God. We all understand that part of Him. But God has so designed this thing that He wants us to believe in Him. He wants us to trust in Him. And when we don't, somehow that limits His power, His ability to do what He was planning to do. It's a scary thing. And this bothers me whenever I read it. And it causes me to look at my own life. Hmm. You know, we, we take our temperature to make sure we're healthy. 98.6, right? 37 degrees Celsius. If it's above or below, something's wrong. Really, something's wrong. It's a pretty good indicator something's not quite right in your physical body. Well, we need to take our spiritual temperature regularly. And by no coincidence, when we come to the communion table, I often mention this, but when Paul taught about taking communion, he said, first stop and examine yourselves. What does he say to examine? To see whether or not you're in the faith. In other words, check your faith. Not your track record. He's not saying, make sure you've been perfect all week before you come to the communion table. No, what is your faith like? What's your faith temperature? Is it low? Or is it hot? These people's faith was very low. And there's a reason why. He had come to his hometown... And these were his relatives, people who knew his mother, his brothers and sisters, and his family. And they were looking at everything in the natural. And that's one of our greatest enemies of faith. Looking at things in the natural, just judging things by the flesh, by the, the carnal, by the physical. And their faith went through the ground. He was amazed at their lack of of faith. Let's look at another case where Jesus got amazed. Luke chapter 7, also starting from verse 1, 
And we're going to read down to verse 10. Luke 7, from 1 to 10. Seven one. Okay, everybody with me? Always bring your Bible. We're very happy for the projector, and thank God for Sister Desiree back there. But, you know, these things can sometimes go out, and you always want to have backup. When Jesus had finished saying all this to the people who were listening, he entered Capernaum. There, a centurion's servant, whom his master valued highly, was sick and about to die. This was a Roman, not a Jewish man. He was a Gentile, a Roman centurion. He's got a servant, whom apparently he valued, loved very much. He was sick and about to die, verse 2 at the end. Verse 3. The centurion heard of Jesus. Isn't that great? So nice when somebody hears about Jesus in their trouble. He heard about Jesus and sent some elders of the Jews to him asking him to come and heal his servant. Verse 4. When they came to Jesus, they pleaded earnestly with him. This man deserves to have you do this. That was their thinking. He deserves to have you do this because he loves our nation and has built our synagogue. Now that was a good thing. He loved the Jewish people. He had blessed them by helping to build a synagogue for them. God said, I'll bless those who bless you and curse those who curse you. goes all the way back to Genesis 12. And yes, it does matter how we as individuals and how we as a nation view the Jewish people and the nation of Israel. It affects our salvation. It affects our blessedness or possibly coming under a curse. He was obviously being blessed because he loved the nation and he had built a synagogue for the Jewish people. Verse 6. So Jesus went with them. He was not far from the house. He was ready to go to this guy's house. He was not far from the house when the centurion sent friends to say to him, Lord, don't trouble yourself, for I do not deserve. Remember what they were saying? He deserves to have you do this. He says, I do not deserve this. Interesting. You know, grace is all about getting what you don't deserve. Thank God we don't get what we deserve. How many here want to get what you deserve in life? I've heard people say that. It scares me, sends shivers up and down my spine. God has not given me what I deserve. I remember going to pray for a lady that was on her deathbed, died the very next day, and full of bitterness against God. Refused to forgive God. We were talking about forgiveness Friday night. She refused to forgive God. Oh, God has done so many things against me. He didn't give me what I deserve. I said, sister, please, please don't talk like that. You don't want what you deserve. Oh, he's not giving me what I deserve in life. I hope she didn't die that way, but that's the way I left her. 
Some people get so locked into that mindset, what I deserve, what I deserve. We don't care what we deserve. <laughs> we deserve hellfire, nothing less. We all deserve hellfire and eternity away from God with demons and worms crawling all over our bodies. That's what the Bible says. I didn't make that up. So if that's what you deserve, I don't think so. I don't even deserve for you to come to my house. That's the right attitude. We don't deserve anything from God. It's all grace. It's all grace. It's getting what we don't deserve. Lord, don't trouble yourself, for I do not deserve to have you come under my roof. That is why I did not even consider myself worthy to come to you. This man is truly humble. A very humble man. But, say the word. Repeat that with me. Say the word. More literally, if you really study it, it's say a word. Just one word is all I need from you. Say the word and my servant will be healed. Hmm. For I myself am a man under authority, with soldiers unto me. I tell this one, go. I say a word, and he moves. He goes. And that one, come. One word. And he comes. I say to my servant, do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard this, he was? He was? He was again amazed. This is a different kind of an amazement. He was amazed at him, and turning to the crowd following him, he said, I tell you, I have not found such great faith even in Israel. Whoa. This man's not an Israelite. So he's gone beyond the whole nation of Israel in his faith. I have not found such great faith even in Israel. By the way, tuck it away for a little further along in our message today, that word found. When you find something, what does it imply? You were looking for it, exactly. Jesus was looking for faith. He couldn't find any in his own hometown, and it amazed him. He found some outside of the nation of Israel, and that amazed him. Haven't found such great faith even in Israel. Verse 10, the men who had been sent returned to the house and found the servant well. Just speak the word. Speak the word and my servant will be well. Again, summarizing these two different scenarios, the people in Jesus' hometown, they were just looking at the carnal, the natural, let's see, who's his mother, his brothers are here, his sisters, he's a carpenter. They were just looking at the natural. And the Bible says... I think in the NIV, how is it translated? They took offense at him. 
That's an interesting word. It may be translated differently in your, in your Bible. It's the Greek word skandaliso, from which we get scandalize or scandal. It literally means to trip or to make somebody stumble. They stumbled over him because they were looking at the natural. They knew he was a carpenter. They knew he was Mary's son. And yet he's talking with this incredible wisdom and he's laying hands on the sick and they're being healed and he's raising dead people back to life. They couldn't connect the dots, so they stumbled over that. The centurion, all he was looking to was the word. Say a word and my servant will be healed. The Bible doesn't even elaborate what his sickness was. Doesn't seem to matter. He was nigh unto death. That's all that really mattered. And the centurion didn't give a long list, you know, well, his fever is 105 and he hasn't eaten for 23 days. He didn't go into all that. He said, I need a word, Lord, that's all. And he'll be healed. His eyes were not on the flesh, the carnal, the natural. His eyes were on the word of God. In 1 Timothy, there are a number of references to this, and this is really what I want to spend the remaining time on, is talking about fighting for our faith. Fighting for our faith. That's a concept we don't often talk about, but it's biblical. We fight against devils, we fight against sin, we fight for righteousness, etc., etc. But there's a biblical concept that we need to get a hold of here. We need to fight for our faith. Because there are forces, there are enemies that are continually trying to take your faith away from you. In 1 Timothy chapter 1, Paul starts right off in the first chapter with this. And remember, he's writing to Timothy, a younger minister, whom is under Paul's tutelage and care, and he's giving him certain advice and telling him certain things to do and not to do as a young minister. 1 Timothy 1, from verse 18 to 20. Timothy, my son, I give you this instruction in keeping with the prophecies once made about you, so that by following those prophecies, you may fight the good fight. Say that with me. Fight the good fight. What kind of fight? Holding on to... Holding on to faith. Sometimes we're fighting to gain control of something. Sometimes we're fighting not to lose control of something. Because an enemy is trying to take it out of our hands. By the way, Darius, uh, it's going to be a few more years before we have any football discussions. But you know, in football, 
the other team is forever trying to pull that ball out of the player's hands. And if he can gain control of it, man, then they can score. It's called a fumble. So these guys spend hours and hours training how to hold on to that ball so that nobody can rip it out of his arm or his hands. It's the same thing with your faith. We need to train. We need to do exercises. We need to learn how to hold tightly onto that faith so that nobody can rip the ball out of our hands and score for the other team. Hold on to faith, Timothy. Fight the good fight. Holding on to faith, and this is very closely related, and we're not going to have time to talk about it today, but faith and a good conscience. You can't have faith in a bad conscience. You have to keep your conscience clear. Hold on to those two things, faith and a good conscience. And then sadly, he goes on to say, some have rejected these. Some have allowed the ball to be stripped from their hands. And what happened to them? They have shipwrecked their faith. Among them are Hymenaeus and Alexander, whom I have handed over to Satan to be taught not to blaspheme. This is serious stuff, folks. These were believers, possibly even ministers, who were once in the rank and file of the church. They rejected what Paul is telling Timothy to do, and they lost their faith. They shipwrecked their faith. And now, what are they doing? They're blaspheming. They're teaching false things. They're contradicting the truth of God. Fight to hold on to your faith. 1 Timothy 6. You know, when God says something once, it's extremely important. <laughs> Twice, man, you better stop. You better just stop. And kids, when mom tells you to do something once, we talked about this last week, right? You do what? You jump! But if it doesn't get through the first time, if mom or dad has to repeat the same thing twice, you better move. And if perchance there's a third Repetition needed? Mm. I won't go there. But here it comes a second time. 1 Timothy 6.12 Where have we heard this before? First chapter, last chapter. By the way, Timothy, if you didn't get it in chapter 1, I'm going to repeat it now. Fight the good fight of faith. Take hold of eternal life to which you were called when you made your good confession in the presence of many witnesses. Interesting that he mentions confession there because we're going to talk about that a little later. That's what we're going to do this coming Friday. We're going to confess our faith. Amen. Fight the good fight of faith. And any good teacher, as Paul was, not only do they teach things, but they do what they teach. And at the end of Paul's life, here's what he was able to write on his tombstone. And this is often used at funerals. 
2 Timothy 4, verses 6 to 8. Paul's done. His life is over. His race is done. And here's what he had to say. I hope you and I can speak like this at the end of our life. 2 Timothy 4, 6. I am already being poured out like a drink offering, and the time has come for my departure. No, he's not catching an airline flight. <laughs> this is a different kind of departure. I have fought. Where have I heard that? Timothy, do it. Do it. I did it. I have fought the good fight. And here's... This amazes me, and I never really saw this until a couple of years ago, and I've been meditating on it ever since. The great apostle Paul, here's what he had to say. I have fought the good fight, I have finished the race, and I have kept what? I have kept the faith. You can pass right over that and miss the power of that. This is no small thing, my friend, to hold on to your faith for 20, 30, 40, 50, 60 years of trials, tests, challenges, blasphemies, all kinds of challenges and attacks that you went through, and at the end you can stand tall and say, Hallelujah, I still believe in God. I still believe in every promise that's in the Bible. I am still a believer. That's no small thing. Because how many of you know, with time, life starts to throw you a few curveballs, a few sinkers, a few floaters, I'm not a pitcher, but whatever these guys throw, life throws them at you. They come out of nowhere. Whoa, where did that curveball come from? That's weird. Peter says, don't think it's strange when strange things happen to you. <laughs> I love that verse. If you're a Christian, and if you're determined you want to finish your race, with joy, with faith, with victory, if you're determined you want to fulfill everything God destined you to do while you're here on planet Earth, you're going to go through some strange things, my friend. You're going to pass through fire. You're going to pass through floods. You're going to pass through all kinds of strange things. We talked about this a few weeks ago in the story of Joseph. My, what that young man had to go through to get where God wanted to take him. But he got there. Paul got there. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Next verse. Now. Say that with me. Uh. Now. <laughs> One day we're going to be able to say, now. It's all behind me. Now there is in store for me. The crown of righteousness which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. And not only to me, but also to all. What's all mean? All. Raise your hand if you're an all. all. A couple of you aren't alls. I don't know what you are. To all who have longed for his appearing. Longed for his appearing. I don't know if that's happening in you, but it's happening in me. I'm walking around my house. I'm driving down the road. I'm in the shower, and I'm saying, Come quickly, Lord Jesus. Come back, Lord. I am done with this place. I want to be with you. 
Come quickly. We're going to see strange things in these last days. Very strange things. And everything around us is going to want to try to suck faith out of us. We're going to have to fight to hold on to the ball. Hold on to our faith. Fight the good fight. It's not a bad fight. It's a good fight. You're fighting for something really good if you're fighting for your faith. And we're not there yet, but don't leave me because I'm going to sh share with you three simple things you and I can be doing to do that, to fight to hold on to our faith. But one important scripture in Luke chapter 18, talking about the soon appearing of Jesus Christ, his soon return, it ties right into this next portion of Scripture, Luke 18, from verse 1, and we'll read all the way down to verse 8. Luke 18, you're familiar with the story. It's about prayer, but it's also about faith. And they go hand in hand. And notice how Jesus ties them together. Then Jesus told his disciples a parable to show them that they should occasionally pray and try not to give up. Right? Does anyone else here beside me have any situation that you're praying about that there's a tendency or a temptation to just give up? Do I have any friends today? Now, some of you, Maya, you, you can't relate to this because you've not been around for 64 years, but I have. And about 41 of those, I've been a believer. And there are things I've been praying about for 40 years that haven't happened yet. 40 years. And let me tell you something. It's very easy after 40 years to say, God's not going to do anything. I give up on this one. I give up on this person. I give up on this situation. I've prayed and prayed and prayed. I've lost count of the days and weeks and months. I've fasted about this. God's not going to do anything. The tendency to do that is always there. But Jesus gave this parable for you and for me so that we will always pray and not give up. Not give up. Let's go. In a certain town, there was a judge. Remember, a parable is just a story that Jesus is making up to get across a moral or a point. In a certain town, there was a judge who neither feared God nor cared about men. And there was a widow in that town who kept coming to him with the plea, Grant me justice against my adversary. For some time... He refused, but finally he said to himself, even though I don't fear God or care about men, and of course that would include this widow, I don't care about her. I don't care about God. Yet, because this widow keeps bothering me, say that with me, keeps bothering me, I will see that she gets justice so that she won't eventually wear me out with her coming. Man, the Lord challenged me with this one again this week. 
He asked me, are you wearing me out on this matter? Or are you just occasionally throwing up a little one-liner? Are you earnestly, fervently, intensely, persevering in prayer about this matter, not taking no for an answer? This woman was not going to leave this judge alone. Kept bothering him. And the Lord said, listen to what the unjust judge says. <laughs> and will not God bring about justice for his chosen ones who cry out to him day and night? Will he keep putting them off? I tell you, he will see that they get justice and quickly. However, he's not done yet. However, when the Son of Man comes, say that with me, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth. So it starts off as a nice little story about praying. Don't give up when you're praying. And I think we can all relate to that part. But he finishes on a whole different note here. When I return, I'm looking for something. Remember we talked about finding what you've been looking for. I've not found the faith like this in all of Israel. Where he's coming again looking for something. He's not looking for what kind of a car you drive. He's not looking at what house you live in. He's not looking at how many titles or degrees come after your name. He's not interested in all of your accomplishments. He's looking for one thing. When he comes back to earth, will he find faith in your life and in mine? Thus the importance of us fighting the good fight of faith to hold on to our faith. Finish our race strong in faith. As I mentioned, life throws some tough curveballs. And sometimes it's too much for people. They give up. I had to bury my aunt yesterday. My aunt and uncle have had more tragedy than anyone else in our entire family. And I used to wonder, as a kid growing up, my mom had five other sisters and this one brother, the brother who lost his wife this week. And when they would get together as a kid, all I remember was them smoking, drinking, having parties, and having a good time. But I used to wonder, my uncle, her one brother and wife, they would never drink. They would never smoke. They always went to church. He sang in the choir for many, many, many years. And we used to kind of think they were kind of weird, you know, like they don't want to party with everybody else. But by and by, I started to understand. You see, they've had tragedy after tragedy after tragedy in their lives. They lost 
Actually, they've lost a total of five children. She lost twins in a miscarriage, and she lost two of her children at the ages of nine and 11, young children. And it gets even stranger. My uncle's name is Will. His real name is Wilson. And at the time, their two young children died. I remember it very vividly because one of them was my same age. He died when he was uh, nine years old. They didn't even know what exactly killed them. And it was some years later that they actually gave the disease a name, not after my uncle, but it's actually called Wilson's disease. Took his two, ch his two children. They were left with one son who lived into adulthood, married and had a son, and he died of cancer about two years ago. And so here's father and mother that have lost all of their children. And I think the loss of that third child was just the straw that broke the camel's back. Up until then, every tragedy drove them closer to God. They would seek God more. They would get more involved in the church. And they were hanging on to God. But I think after the loss of their third and final child, something snapped. They stopped going to church. And they just kind of gave up. It's very sad. It's very sad. And I'm not saying this arrogantly or proudly because I don't even know what it is to lose one child. I can't imagine going through that. And we must pray for the survivors in the family because it's been blow after blow after blow. And that's why I'm telling you, this is a fight. It's a fight to hold on to your faith, especially when curveballs, tragedies, and strange things come that you really have no explanation for. There's no answer for these things when they come. But there is one thing, nevertheless, that Jesus is looking for when he returns. Will he find faith on the earth? And this was so important that if you study the four Gospels, this seemed to be the main point of Jesus' teaching and training with his disciples. And I'm just going to show you one example in Peter's life that I think shows this was always Christ's emphasis. He was looking at their faith. And if you go through the Gospels, I'm not going to enumerate all the references, but how many times Jesus, you know, took them through a situation out in the boat on the Sea of Galilee or whatever, and then says, where's your faith? What happened to your faith? Oh, you of little faith. He was so concerned about their faith. And now hear what he has to say to Peter. Luke 22, verses 31 to 32. Luke 22, 31 to 32. Simon, Simon, remember that's another name for Peter. Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sift you as wheat. Now, Jesus doesn't elaborate on that, but we all know Satan can't do anything without permission. Read the book of Job. There you get a little inside view of what goes on in the courts of heaven. Satan has to get permission from God before he can do anything. Because God is omnipotent. Satan asked permission to sift you as wheat. 
And if I'm Peter at that point, I hope you rebuked him. I hope you denied him permission. That's not what Jesus said. Look at verse 32. But I have prayed for you, Simon. Uh-oh. Wait. You gave him permission? It would seem so. He's asked permission to sift you. But Lord, rebuke the devil. Bind all the demons. And then we don't have any problem here. No, something else needs to happen here, Simon. I have prayed for you that your what? That your what? That your faith may not fail. You see, Simon, you need to go through this. Your faith needs to be exercised. You've got to put some more weights now and build yourself up. So I'm going to put you through something new here that you've not been through before, but I'm praying for you. How many of you are happy that Jesus is praying for you? Oh, my. We feel so good when somebody calls and says, I'm praying for you, but I like it when Jesus calls and says, I'm praying for you too. I have prayed for you, Simon, that your faith may not fail, and when you have turned back, see, Jesus already knew how this was going to end up. You're going to come through. And I got good news for you. Whatever you're going through, you're going to come through it. Amen. You're going to come through it. Amen. You're going to come through it. When you have turned back, strengthen your brothers. You see, there's a purpose for the things God takes us through. It's not just so we can have a victor's crown and say, Hallelujah, He healed me, He answered my prayer. No, He wants you to be able to help other people, Amen. strengthen other people's faith. Amen. Amen. When you have turned back, now strengthen your brothers. I've prayed for you that your faith may not fail. Sadly, as we've already mentioned, faith can fail. Matthew 24 tells me in verse 10 that in these last days there's going to be a great falling away. Not from the church. There may be a drop off in church attendance, but that's not what Jesus said. There'll be a falling away from? From? Falling away from faith. I don't want to be one of those statistics. I just don't. And I've determine with all that's within me, with God's grace and God's help, I want to finish my race like Paul did. I've kept my faith. And sometimes people will say, yeah, but come on, pastor, look at all the stuff that's happened in your life. You mean you still believe all of this? I do. I still believe all of it. And that's the whole point. That's exactly where Satan has put his target on your back. He's going after your faith. He somehow wants your faith to fail and say, eh, I'm done with this book. I'm done with prayer. I give up. doesn't work. Now, I promise you I'm going to finish with three simple things. How many of you understand Christianity is simple? It's not hard. It's not complex. It's really very simple. And basically, it does come down to two things. Faith and obedience. We've got to have faith in God and then do whatever He tells us to do. That solves everything. Three simple things you and I can be doing to fight for our faith. To fight the good fight of faith. 
Number one, we need the Word of God. We need to read it, memorize it, confess it, eat it. Now, don't literally eat your Bible. We had a lady in Puerto Rico who took me a little too literally one Sunday. And I read that verse from Job where he said, I've esteemed your words more than my necessary food. And she actually went home and started eating some of the pages from her Bible. And we, we tried to correct that. Don't eat your Bible, but eat the word. Romans 10, verses 8 to 10. While we're going there, how many of you understand just coming here for an hour on Sunday or maybe on an hour on Wednesday night hearing a Bible study? How many understand that's not enough? Amen. Nobody? Oh, Amen. a few of you. Amen. Okay, well, those of you that don't have your hands up, i got a brand new revelation for you. This isn't enough. You need to be in your book every day. Reading, memorizing, meditating. Take it to work with you. Think about it. Listen to it if you've got it on audio. Fill your life with the Word of God. Meditate day and night, the Bible says. We there? Okay. <clears throat> Read these verses with me. Romans 10, 8, 9, and 10. Ready? It's up on the screen. What does it say? I can't hear you. What does it say? The word is near you, it is in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith we are proclaiming. That if you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with the heart that you believe and are justified, and it is with your mouth that you confess and are saved. Two parts of you, two parts of me are essential for my salvation. My heart, not this thing that's pumping blood, but the real me inside, and my mouth. We leave the mouth part out a lot. We use our mouth a whole lot, but often for the wrong things. The Bible says the power of life and death is in the tongue. And God so designed your salvation and mine that we need to believe in our heart and then speak it with our mouth. Then the whole process is complete and we are saved. The word that's translated confess has always fascinated me, and it is the title of this little thing, My Confession of Faith. It's homologeo. Say the same thing. That's literally what it means. So whatever God says, you say the same thing God says, and you're confessing your faith. It's that simple. God says, I love you. I gave my son for you on the cross. His death, burial, and resurrection has already sealed your salvation. All you have to do is believe that and now confess it with your mouth that he is your Lord and you'll be saved. It's really that simple. Go back to verse 8 for a second. 
The Word is near you. It is in your mouth, and it is in your heart. That is the Word of what? The Word of faith. This is actually called the Word of faith. It's meant to be proclaimed. It's meant to be confessed, spoken out from your mouth. In another place, Paul says, I have believed, therefore I speak. <laughs> Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Whatever is in your heart, whatever you believe is going to come out of your mouth. It's going to come out. When Jesus faced temptation, when he faced Satan in the wilderness, how did he fight him? It is written. It is written. He didn't come up with his own theories, his own opinions, his own arguments. Some of us are a little bit too opinionated. We can lay our opinions aside and stick to the Word of God. Yeah, but pastor, this is what I think. I really don't care what you think. This is what the Bible says. Jesus could have gotten into a real mess if he started trying to argue with Satan and reason with him and go into all the logic and everything. All he did three times was, it is written, it is written, it is written. All he did was quote scripture. And by the time he was done quoting scripture, what happened to the devil? He left. He left. We can learn a lot from that simple portion of scripture. Learn how to use the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. When darts of doubt and unbelief come flying at you, put up your shield of faith, get out your sword and say, it is written. Get out of here. While we're here in Romans 10, drop down to verse 17. This is nothing new that I'm sharing today, but it's very, very important. Consequently, faith comes from hearing the message, and the message is heard through the word of Christ. I learned this in King James when I was a baby Christian, and I prefer it. Faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. That's a little simpler. Now let me break this down for you. How many of you have ever read a couple chapters of the Bible and it didn't do anything for your faith? Come on, be honest. Come on. Put them up. Come on. It doesn't say reading your Bible will increase your faith. Now, read your Bible. But faith doesn't come from reading. Faith comes from Hearing. Oh, now we need the heart, the mouth, and the ears. Faith comes by hearing. And he doesn't elaborate, but if you really fill in the blanks, hearing from God. You need to hear God speak to you. But you'll not hear God speaking to you unless you know the Word of God. You see, the Word of God, the Bible that we hold in our hands, this is God's vocabulary. And He will speak to you through His Word. 
And if you know the Word, sometimes just a little portion of a story, a name, a place or something, and you go, but bingo, that's what I needed to hear. If you don't know the Bible, the Holy Spirit might be trying to say something to you, but it'd be like me talking to Gloria in Chinese. I don't speak Chinese, sorry. Even if, if you do, okay. You wouldn't understand a word I'm saying. So, God may be trying to say something to us, but we can't get it. Because we don't know the vocabulary. Learn your Bible. Study the stories. Know the Gospels. Read from cover to cover until it's in you. Paul said, let the Word of Christ dwell in you richly. Dwell in you. God told young Joshua, don't let this law depart out of your mouth. Out of your mouth. Interesting. Out of your mouth. We need the Word in our mouth. In our heart and in our mouth. Okay, so the Word of God is very important because it is the Word of faith. Secondly, go to 2 Corinthians 5 and verse 7. How many of you like choices? Some people do, some people don't. On our way home from the funeral yesterday, my daughter was hungry, so we stopped at a new restaurant. And there's so many choices there, I don't know what to do. Sometimes there's too many choices, but God makes it simple here. We got a choice between two things. And that's often the case in the Word of God. Can you put up King James? This one also I prefer in the King James. It's not that it's that different, but it's the way I learned it. We walk by faith, not by sight. God spoke to me several Fridays ago in our prayer meeting, and I'm still chewing on this one. We have a choice. It's presented to us daily. It's presented to us many times a day. Every time you're faced with a new situation, you have a choice to make. I'm either going to deal with this by sight, or I'm going to deal with it by faith. A lot of you didn't hear that. I'll repeat it. This is the second time now. If I have to say it three times, I'm getting my whip out. <laughs> you and I are going to face many, many situations a day. Every day, they're going to come. You have to make a choice right then and there. This is what I see. Am I going to go by what I see? Or am I going to walk by faith? We walk by faith or we walk by sight. If you walk by sight your faith will fail. Amen. Now, I think most of us have pretty fair vision. We can see things, right? And I'm not talking about this foolishness where uh, I see that Fauci's wearing a blue shirt, but it isn't blue. I'm not talking about that kind of foolishness. I see. I see the situation that I've got confronting me. It's a challenging situation, but I'm going to choose to go beyond sight and start putting faith in God's Word because He's got stuff in His Word that addresses my situation that goes beyond what I can see. 
I don't feel very well, but the Bible says by his stripes I was healed. I have a choice. I can go by what I see and feel, or I can go by what I believe. I choose to believe the word of God. While we're in 2 Corinthians, just go back to the previous chapter. This sounds like insanity, but this is what Paul is telling us to do. 2 Corinthians 4 verse 18. You can switch it back to NIV now, thank you. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen. Hold on. <laughs> we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. Here again, there's a choice. There's the seen, and there's the unseen. We all see the seen, right? <clears throat> but we can choose to fix our eyes on the unseen. We fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. And here's why. For what is seen is temporary, passing. But what is unseen is eternal. I choose to fix my eyes on the unseen. I choose to fix my eyes on the Word of God, especially when it contradicts what I'm seeing in the scene. Now, let me bring a little bit of balance to this, because some people have gone too far with this, and, and, I mean, they wake up with a raging fever, and you call them and say, How are you, brother? Oh, I'm fine. No, you're not fine. You're 105. I'm not talking about just being in denial about the, the reality of the situation. We all see that. But Paul says, now fix your eyes on the unseen. Choose to walk by faith and not just by sight. This will help you. Romans 4, starting at verse 12. How many believers do we have here today? If you're a believer, then Abraham is your father. Did you know that? Amen. Amen. Abraham's your father. God told him he was going to have lots of kids. Romans 4, verse 12. And I would recommend reading this whole chapter, but he's talking about Abraham here. He is the father of the circumcised, who not only are circumcised, but who also walk in the footsteps of the faith that our father Abraham had before he was circumcised. If you're a believer, Abraham's your father, and you're called to walk in his footsteps. Walk in his footsteps. He walked by faith. And I love to study the life of Abraham. Go back to Genesis 12 and read through his life frequently and ask yourself, what are the steps of faith he took? What are these footsteps I'm supposed to be following? Footsteps of faith. Okay, for time, let's jump down to verse 17. Still talking about Abraham here. Abraham, you'll remember was called to be a father of nations. Just one minor detail. 
he and Sarah couldn't have any kids. That can be a bit of a problem if you're supposed to father nations. And here it goes through that. As it is written, I have made you a father of many nations. He is our father in the sight of God in whom he believed. And here's the God that Abraham believed in. This is the God I want to believe in. He does two things. Abraham's God gives life to the dead. That's why he could take Isaac right up in the Mount Moriah and he was ready with a knife to offer him as a sacrifice to God. The Bible says he believed that God would raise him from the dead. Wow. That's some faith there. So Abraham's God gives life to the dead and I love the second part. His God can call things that are not as though they were. Ooh. Somebody help me with that. I'm a scientist. I teach science in high school. That doesn't make any sense scientifically. Calls things that are not as though they were. But wait a minute. Isn't that what happened in Genesis 1? What did God do? Let there be light. He called the universe into being. How? With his word. He spoke his word. He spoke stars, planets into existence. Now I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to check you here. How many of you remember how many stars there are estimated to be in the universe? Huh? How much? Any other tries? Come on, girls. Giovanna, how many? No, Jay, you don't remember? Oh, Lord. I got to go through that again. Well, you're not real far off. You got the septillion right. 24 septillion stars. That's one with, I think, 24 zeros after it. And the Bible says he breathed them out. He breathed out once 24, 27, how many are septillion stars with his mouth. He can call things that are not as though they were. Stars. Planets. Healing. Provision. That was Abraham's God. The God in whom he believed. The God who gives life to the dead and calls things that are not as though they were. Well, Abraham and Sarah had a not. <laughs> they couldn't have kids. And the not was getting worse with each passing year because they're getting older and older and older. And the Bible is very clear on this. They had gone beyond childbearing age. Now, I'm not going to go into the biology on that. But that happens. Impossible. Can't have any more children. We got a real major problem now. He's supposed to be the father of nations. Can't even have one son. Verse 18. Against all hope. Say that with me. Against all hope. What's all mean? All. All hope is gone now. You been there? Been there? I'm talking about a hopeless situation. Against all hope. 
Abraham hopes. How do you hope when there's no hope? Against all hope, Abraham in hope believed and so became the father of many nations, just as it has been said to him, so shall your offspring be. Without weakening in his faith, and here's the part I want to help you with, he faced the fact. Say that with me. Face the fact. Facts are facts. When the doctors come with their, you know, reports and their pictures and everything, okay, fine. This happened with Diana. Here, here are the pictures. You know, it's real serious. Okay, we see the pictures. But here's the challenge. He faced the fact, but his faith didn't weaken. Man, that's where the rubber meets the road. You, you see the doctor's report. You know what they're saying about your situation, and your faith doesn't weaken. Without weakening in his faith, he faced the fact that his body was as good as dead. <laughs> you know, God likes dead situations. They don't challenge him. Because he's the God who can raise the dead. He's the God who can speak to dead bones and they rise up a mighty army. Nothing challenges God. He didn't weaken in his faith. He faced the facts. His body was as good as dead. He's a hundred years old now. Sarah's womb was dead. This situation is dead, my friends. Verse 20. Yet. I like that word. Say it with me. Yet. Yet he did not waver through unbelief regarding his own ideas, regarding his opinions, regarding what the experts told him. Here's the key. That's why the first thing here was the Word of God. You need to know what the Word of God says about the situation. He did not waver through unbelief regarding the promise of God, but was strengthened in his faith and gave glory to God, being fully persuaded. Fully persuaded. 25 years this took. 25 years Abraham's waiting for his first son, and he's supposed to be the father of nations? Come on. You know how much the devil messed with his mind during those 25 years? Oh, yeah, father of nations, sure, right. Mm -hmm, yeah. You can't even have one kid. He came to a place where he was fully persuaded because he wasn't walking by sight. He was walking by faith. Fully persuaded that God had power to do what he had promised. We have to make a choice. We either choose to face the facts and seek with the facts... Or we see the facts, okay, fine, but what's God's promise? And strengthen my faith in God's promise, not wavering, not stumbling, not quitting, not giving up, but just getting stronger and stronger until you're fully persuaded. I don't care what I see anymore. I know what God said. And I've got some situations in my own life now 
that have gone on for so long and they seem in the natural to be getting worse. And the devil will remind you of that. Oh yeah, yeah, you've been praying about this one for 20 years. You really think something's going to happen now? Yes, I do. I'm now fully persuaded. So now when the negative reports and the bad feedback comes in, I just laugh. I say, praise God. God's on it. God cannot lie. It is impossible for God to lie. He doesn't go around making promises and then breaking them. That's why we can say yes to every promise of God. Amen to every promise of God, because they're all true. Okay, I'm finished. Third thing. We need the Word of God. We need to make a choice to walk by faith and not by sight. Third Go to Jude, verse 20. Jude, and there's only one chapter, verse 20. But you, dear friends, build yourselves up. Huh, I thought that was the pastor's job. I come here on Sunday and I'm all burned out and drained out and hopefully one of the pastors is going to build me up. And if we don't get built up, then we go home and complain. I ain't going to that church no more. They don't build me up. Show me that in the Bible. What I see in the Bible is you have a responsibility. Build yourselves up in your most holy faith. Pray in the Holy Spirit. Come to church. Fire up. Full of faith. So you can help somebody else. How many of you understand that you can build yourself up in faith? God's given you that tool. What an amazing gift the Holy Spirit is. 24-7, we can be building ourselves up in faith, praying in the Spirit. Three things. Live in the Word. Meditate on the Word. Confess the Word. If you've never really done that before, Please join us this coming Friday. And I think you're going to have an experience that will change you. Amen. You're going to experience the power that comes when you speak God's Word. Even like Ezekiel prophesying the dead bones, you see them coming to life. Secondly, we need to make a choice. Every time we're confronted with a challenge or a situation, I'm not going to walk by sight. I'm going to trust God. I'm going to walk by faith. I see what's going on, but I choose to trust God and His Word. Thirdly, pray in the Spirit. Build yourself up in your most holy faith. Let's all stand. We must fight to keep believing. We have to fight to keep believing. It's not a passive thing. Paul wouldn't have told Timothy, fight the good fight of faith if he was just going to sit around like this. No. You've got to engage. You've got to do something. You've got to put forth effort to get into the Word, get into prayer. Make those decisions that will keep you walking by faith and not by sight. And above all else, you can do this right now if you want. Make up your mind, I am not quitting. 
I am not giving up. I am not throwing in the towel. That is not an option. I'm going one way. There's no turning back. Father, we pray today that our faith would not fail. These are dark times. These are challenging times. Very great temptations. Strange and dark things are coming upon the earth in these last days. And yet, you said where sin abounds, there does grace much more abound. And God, I believe that there is a super abundant grace and power available to each one of us to keep us in these last days. God, help us to fight the good fight of faith. Help us to have the testimony that Paul had when he crossed the finish line and he could say, I have finished my race. I have kept my faith. Lord, strengthen our faith. Those that are going through trials right now, don't let their faith fail. Build up their faith. Let them come to that place that Abraham came to where he was fully persuaded that whatever God you had promised, you were able also to perform. You're a faithful God. You're a God who cannot lie. Your word is true. All of your promises are yes and amen in Christ Jesus. And Lord, we can trust in you with our whole heart, leaning not on our own understanding, not trying to use our own reasonings, our own wisdom, but just declaring it is written. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you, like Pastor Ernie used to say, we can take it to the bank. Every promise, every word in this book is true. And that's where we want to stand. That's where we plant our two feet today. And that's where we want our eyes to be fixed. On Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. God bless and keep each one as we depart from this place. Use each one of us throughout this week to touch other lives, to declare your word to others. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. God bless you all.